Okay, I think I might get started here. Um, I need sunglasses up here. I can't see anybody. That's terrible. (laughs) Hard to be close to you without seeing you, but I don't think I'll do this the whole time. Um, Hi, I'm Susan Post. It's uh, 4 o'clock, and we're starting our conference, right? It's exciting. Um, I'm very thrilled for um, this weekend. It's just uh, my favorite conference to go to. I feel like God is always showing up here backwards. Uh-oh. Um, so I'm Susan Post, and I'm the Executive Director of Esperanza Health Center out in Philadelphia. And today my topic is um, spiritual vibrancy in the midst of suffering and service. And um, I come here um, kind of uh, lacking confidence because I'm not really um, an expert in suffering. Uh, I'm not a clinician. Uh, I'm not a um, behavioral health consultant. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I know nothing in general about suffering. But what I do come uh, with is um, that I live in a community um, that has uh, a great deal of suffering. And so um, my experiences with suffering really are just practical, everyday things that God is uh, showing me and and teaching me through my community um, in Philadelphia. Um, We also um, experience suffering... um, from our patients, um, and they come to Esperanza Health Center. And we have three uh, health centers in North Philadelphia, and we see about 14,000 patients. And um, if you've ever been to North Philadelphia, it's uh, the poorest part of Philly, and um, it's a wonderful place, um, a lot of culture in North Philly. Um, Temple University is in North Philly, which is great. Um, But um, there's a lot of culture. I moved into a community that um, has is made up primarily of African-American and Puerto Ricans, and they're amazing. They have great culture. Um, But it's also a very, very poor community, and so there's a lot of um, the normal um, difficulties that go with um, poverty in a community. The school systems are difficult. Um, There's a lot of violence. There's uh, lack of resources almost in every regard. So um, I moved into Philadelphia um, 15 years ago, and these are a couple pictures of my community. Um, the first one I just want to show you because it's uh, a, a, commu- a city of row houses. Everybody is very, very close together. Um, this is a picture from one of our health centers. I like to look out and just be able to try and pray across one row of the row houses in, in the community. Um, it's, also, um, it's also a community with a lot of darkness. I just use that picture just because there's a shadow underneath. That's the L. And under the L in uh, North Philly is a lot of um, drug uh, addiction, a lot of prostitution, a lot of um, drug dealing, uh, a lot of violence. Um, It's a lot of transitional people that are just sort of wandering the streets, a lot of, um, unfortunately, a lot of um, behavioral health issues. Uh, It's also, as I said, a place of lots of uh, celebrations, Um, uh, especially uh, Puerto Rican people know how to... uh, party. (laughs) They love to dance, they love to sing, they love to eat, um, as well as the African Americans. So it's been really fun for me to be in the community and get to know the various um, cultural things that um, I wasn't aware of before. So we're going to talk a little bit um, today about um, this whole idea of keeping our spiritual vibrancy um, in the midst of a a a journey of suffering. So um, when you think about our life and our ministry and what we're doing, it's um, I think The main thing um, we need to look at as Christians is uh, Jesus Christ. And so as we think about our lives, uh, the decisions we make, what we're going to do tomorrow, what we're going to do next month, 
um, really Jesus needs to be the center of that, um, the, the thinking on that and um, making, helping us make our decisions. So um, we need to look at Jesus to form our journey, and that's why I think it's really great that we're here on this um, weekend because I think uh, God does a lot of calling on this weekend to people, yeah, sending them places. Um, he needs to be forming our journey, and he also, though, needs to be um, keeping us on our journey. And they're kind of two different things. kind of feel like once you get your journey set, it's all going to be over. <laughs> and um, uh, you know what you're doing, but it's really, um, in some ways, quite the opposite. So he's calling us on our, this journey, and he's keeping us on it. And um, are, are most of you people students? Are there any students out there? Yeah, good, good number of you. And then are, are there people that are already in ministry out there? Good, perfect. It seems a little bit like half and half. That's great. Um, so we're going to talk about both those because um, sometimes people don't go on the journey because um, they're fearful of it or they're not sure what God's doing. Um, so it's important to look at Jesus in both those um, situations. So Jesus calls us on our journey. So this is a health conference, and um, health care is about compassion, right? Um, yes? Right. Okay, good. Because um, really, it used to be that all people that went into medicine were compassionate people. But it's sort of now that it sometimes um, can be a power trip to go into medicine. Like I get to tell people what to do and they have to do what I say. Or it could be um, also it's very lucrative, um, not so much in primary care but in um, some of the specialties. Um, so sometimes people um, go into medicine not for compassionate reasons. But we're going to assume that all of us here um, as Christians are concerned about compassion. So it calls us here um, on our journey to uh, be compassionate. And compassion means... Does anybody know what compassion means? To suffer with. And that's why we're talking about um, suffering today. Because God calls us on our journey, and unfortunately, or fortunately, we'll see both, um, it is going to be a journey of suffering. And it's not that you are going to end up choosing the journey of suffering. Um, That is the journey that if you're going to follow Jesus, um, you're going to be on. Because Jesus goes to the suffering places. And if we follow him, we'll be there too. So it's a call to compassion, um, and um, our, our journey is also a call to get to participate in what God's doing in this world. And that's what I think is really neat, because um, he could do anything without us, right? Um, but he is kind enough to let us be people that walk along with him and get to put our hands in, in um, with him and be able to do and see um, the work that he's doing. So it's Jesus that calls us on our journey. Um, we're going to look at the um, Good Samaritan um, as a little, just a quick, brief uh, look at this uh, about how to help us uh, think about our journey. And it seems like I am not quite seeing the whole thing. I'll read it. Um, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what is it I must do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus has said here, um, the answer is, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. But he's asking one more question, who is our neighbor? And he, Jesus, in the parable, speaks about this journey. 
Um, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So we've heard this parable many times in life, and it's sort of just like a nice little moral um, story to tell us we need to care about people. Uh, I think it's really a lot more than that, but um, I just encourage you not to um, uh, stop listening because we just read the uh, Good Samaritan. Uh, I think it has some things to say for us about our journey that we're going to take into ministry or we are taking into ministry. So when you look at the story, there's three different people that are walking on the same road. They have the same circumstance in front of them, um, but they end up with um, different results to what their journey, uh, the road that their journey takes. Uh, One is a priest, and one is a Levite, and one is um, a Samaritan. And as you know, the Samaritan is a person who um, is known to be typically an enemy of the Jewish person who would be there on the ground. So um, let's think about our calling, and anybody can be that hurting man on the road. It could be somebody in North Philadelphia. And so um, what, what we have to start with is having eyes at um, see. Um, we need to see what uh, God sees. So both the Levite and the priest, they saw the man, and they walked to the other side of the road. Um, but the Samaritan saw the, saw the man, and he saw a person in need that was hurting. Um, I was thinking about my uh, calling um, to North Philly. I've been there 15 years, and um, I moved there when I was about 40 years old. And I think in my entire 40 years of living in the United States of America, I never entered a community like mine. I never saw it. And if you, know, if you notice in big cities, you can always, all the highways go around the ghettos. You know, they go around and you never have to see. Everything can be nice and clean and you don't see anything. And, I, and I'm just kind of shocked that I could go through so much of my life and not know how, much, how a lot of the people in our, in our country are living and the things that they're experiencing and the suffering that they have. And so I feel like it's a huge blessing that God's allowed me to come to this point in my life even late. And many of you are much younger than me, and I I'm just encourage you, go on your journey earlier than I did, because I think I've perhaps wasted years, although nothing's wasted in God's, in God's way. And so when I first um, thought of going down, I was, I was in a church in um, North Philly, and I got this thought, maybe that God would want me to move to North Philly, because um, I could see how people from my background that don't understand what God's doing in a community like that would really gain by being there and committed to the church. And then I could see how people who are in, I mean, ghettos are like places that people don't go in and people don't go out. And I think God's 
got a design of diversity where we can all learn from each other, and it would be a good thing. And since I had always lived my life outside, it seemed like it would be better for me to be t- closer to the church and move into the community. But when I looked there, um, I felt, thought, well, it's, first of all, I'm too different than everybody in, in this community, and it's too dirty, um, it's unsafe, and um, there's just so much trash all over the place. And so for a while, I, you know, I just really I had a, like a barrier um, because I saw these, uh, these aspects of my community. And um, I, I kind of had a dramatic calling, I thought, by God to come, to the, uh, come and live in the community. And um, I remember saying to God, what would I do there? And he's just like, just come. Come and live there, and I'll show you what to do next. So I had no idea I'd be working at Esperanza Health Center when God called me uh, to North Philadelphia. But the thing that I thought was really interesting is I was excited about this calling. Um, happened sometime over the holidays. And so the next time I, I drove down to church into North Philly, the whole place looked different to me. It looked like it had a million people in it, which if you saw those row homes, you, you, you know, there's people on the streets all the time. And I just looked at each person. And I thought, there's so many, look at the life that's here. Look what, what God can do here with these people. And the thing that was also cool for me is I felt like these are my people, and I'm their person. We're going to be married in a certain sense. They're, they're the people that God has given me. But I didn't ever see the people in the community so much um, before um, I looked at what Jesus looks at. So let's look at the people. And then secondly, see the suffering. Um, you know, it's really hard for me, um, I think, living in the community, sometimes to uh, take airplane uh, trips and sit next to somebody. Sometimes I had a great day today with the people I sat next to. They were coming to this conference. But um, to, to sit and talk about my community, because um, a lot of times uh, there's a, just a big judgment of my community uh, rather than a seeing of the suffering that's in the community. And so there's always a political pull about why things are a certain way. And, yes, politics do play into why our communities are the way they are. But I I feel like it's very easy easy to not see the suffering that's happening there and just see what's wrong or what's Republican or what's Democrat or what, you know, there's just, it's just so easy to move right by the suffering. And um, when I moved into the community, um, I think I'd been there maybe about a year before um, maybe the first um, dramatic, violent action happened. I mean, uh, they happen fairly regularly, but not, you know, not every day or anything. Um, but I remember hearing um, this uh, gun shooting very loudly right outside my bedroom window. And um, because I'd never heard that before, except for maybe on TV a little bit, I, you know, I, I, it just really made my heart race. It, it scared me. I, you know, was sweating and hyperventilating. And, and the idea that someone was possibly trying to kill another person right outside my house was just terrifying. It, it, I was undone by it. Um, and I had lived in the community for about a year, and instead of just being undone by it, I started to think about what's it like if this is where you grew up? What's it like if you're a mother in this community? What's it like if you're a, a five-year-old? I had a friend um, two doors down from me, and his... his um, his uh, bedroom was the same in the back as mine, so he probably heard that same thing. Like, how do you talk to your kid about that? And so by living in the community, I started not only to experience my own suffering, um, but I, I started to be able to see more clearly the suffering that my community was going through. And when, when somebody like me moves in, I don't even get half of it because I could leave if I want to leave. But when that's your 
only option for your family. Um, it's very, very hard to keep hopeful. It's hard, it's hard to think life uh, has something outside of this community. And so I started identifying, I guess, with the people in my community. And it was, it's a gift to be able to do this. So having Jesus give us the eyes to see. I want to see like the Samaritan saw and not like the, um, the priest or the Levite. I was also thinking about how the priest and the Levite, I think it's priest and Levite, yeah, they did, they did the same thing. They saw it and then they walked the other way. And I was just wondering if the Levite might have been a church person and the priest might have been a church leader. And sometimes if the church leaders go the other way, the church will just start following what the leader just did. And I think we need to have eyes that see what God has put in front of us and not just the person that is in front of us and what they're doing. And so I think it's important to think about that. Um, secondly is the journey is neither safe nor convenient. Um, a lot of people ask me questions about the safety in my community, and, um, you know, it's not very safe, although it's also I'm alive to tell the story, <laughs> so it's not that terrible either. But it's not safe or convenient, and um, I, I think I've come to realize since I'm moving into the community that um, safety and security are idols. They're idols. They've been idols in my life, and I think they're idols for many people. I think sometimes they'll say, I, will, I just simply will not go there if it's not safe. I'm glad we're at this conference because many people that are going to um, be talking to us have been to those places that aren't safe. And I think, from my experience, that that's exactly where we find Jesus. We see him more clearly in the unsafe places and the, and the places that are inconvenient. Um, I, um, when I first moved into the community, um, I bought a three-bedroom house. And I remember my pastor saying, hey, do you... Um, hey, do you like living in community? You know, like where you can have a house, all these people will live with you, and, um, you know, you eat together and, you know, pray together. And I'm like, and I'm like no. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. I came to Philly from New York. I'm like, no, I like having all my own stuff, and I like doing things in my own rhythm. And, you know, I just, I, no, community living isn't really for me. Um, I had to have roommates, though, because it was an unsafe place, so I started off with two roommates. And I think in the 15 years I've been there, probably 40 people have lived in the house with me. <laughs> um, God has kind of a sense of humor, I guess, but, you know, he just brought a person here, and he brought a person there, and I said, okay, I think we could do that. I mean, it wasn't under duress, but it was inconvenient. One time I remember I already had four different roommates. One was an African student who was studying to be um, a seminary president, um, and a couple others. One was a physician. And, and we had one spare bedroom, and my, my church asked me, could you please just take this uh, for this woman and her two teenage daughters are um, homeless right now, suddenly. You know, they need a place. Could you just take them for like a week or two? Of course, always be careful when somebody says a week or two. Um, and I only had one bedroom. It was our smallest bedroom. I realize now maybe I could have offered them the big bedroom that I was staying in, but that was inconvenient, you know. So I said, I showed them this one bedroom, three adult-sized people, and one double bed. And they looked at that room, and they just said, this is so beautiful. It's, a, it's our home. It's a home for us, you know. And I just remember being sort of embarrassed that this was all I could offer, but they were really sincerely happy to be in this one bedroom with one bed and three of them. And the, in the weeks and months, um, as it turned out, <laughs> to come, they, these three people who were homeless made my home 
a home for me. I probably, of all the years I've been there, that was a time I felt most at home. They just knew what it was like to carry your home with you, I suppose. But they kind of included me in, and I was just part of their family. And it, it just was the most beautiful time that I've had in my house. And I just feel like that's sort of the way God does it. It's inconvenient. It's unsafe. Um, it's, it's beautiful, and he's there. So the journey is neither safe nor convenient. And then lastly, there's a cost involved. Um, the person that helped the, the um, harmed man on the side of the road, he took him on his own donkey, he put oil and wine, he gave him oil and wine, he took him to an inn, he put two denarii down, said, take care of him now and I'll come back and give you more. Again, I think um, if we are going to follow Jesus, I think it says that many places in the, in the Bible, it's going to cost us. It might cost us our financial security. Um, it might cost us our time. It could cost us our life. Um, but that's the calling um, that God has for us. And um, for me, I think the cost um, primarily has been um, an emotional one and, a, and maybe a spiritual one of engaging in the suffering of um, my beautiful neighbors that I have. But we'll talk about that in a bit. So that's sort of um, what the journey is like. And I'm not really selling it too well, am I? <laughs> Who wants to go on a journey like that? But um, And... That's the whole parable, but um, I wonder, where is Jesus in that parable? Yes, he's telling the story, so he's the narrator of the parable. But I was thinking about it a little bit and, and thinking that um, Jesus actually is the Samaritan. He's the, he's the Samaritan, the most excellent Samaritan. He's the one that stops every time. He's the one that sees the suffering. He's the one that is inconvenienced. He's the one that goes to an unsafe place. He's the one that... Um, uh, pays the cost with his life by going to the cross. He's, he is the perfect Samaritan. So he's actually in this parable. And then also, I think that Jesus is the hurting man on the road. Um, there's that passage in Matthew 25 that says, um, well done, you who took care of me when I, was, you, when I was thirsty, when I was hungry, when I was naked, you took care of me. And the people said, well, when did we see you? It, it, the eyes, right? When did we see you? And he said, when you did it, to the least of these, you did it to me. And so it's just cool to see that the whole parable ends up being about Jesus when in some ways he's not even written in the parable. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we'll have to follow him like a Samaritan. We'll have to follow with him um, by taking care of the hurting in our, in our midst. So, if you're wondering what to do, I guess I'll just suggest that you go. <laughs> and you're going to love it. Um, it's going to be a good journey. You're going to see Jesus there. Why wouldn't we want to go where Jesus goes, correct? So, that's great, right? Is everybody ready to sign up? Yeah? Good. <laughs> so, going is good, but um, it's a decision we make, but we kind of have to keep making that decision um, over and over again. Because if we are going to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, um, we're going to go to places that are kind of hard to be. And it can be hard to be for many reasons. Um, in the health center, um, it can be hard because you see people who are suffering physically. Um, and it's hard to see that again and again and again. Um, and it's sometimes hard to care in a deep way again and again and again. Um, in the community, sometimes it's hard to see 
um, the same pattern of violence or the same pattern of poverty generation after generation after generation. So, and I think also if you go on this journey, um, you're going to see your own limitations and you're going to see your own sin. You're going to see that as much as you want to follow Jesus, uh, you're not going to do it very well. And we're going to hope that we'll do it well, as well as, we, um, as God will allow us. But we're going to, uh, our, our limitations and our sin is going to become apparent to us if we're really going to be on this journey. And so it's important to think, how am I going to stay on this journey? How am I going to survive? Not just for my sake, but for the sake of Jesus who put me on this journey. And if he puts us on the journey, it's in order to keep, he wants to keep us on the journey. Um, but there's many things that can be in our way. And so I want to speak a little bit about the difficulties of the journey and how we can kind of get off on, um, on a wrong journey when God has called us um, to serve him in compassion. So these are some of the results or some of the, um, the things that can happen from being on a journey of engaging with people who are suffering um, over time. Um, and I'd say probably all of these um, have been um, things I've struggled with in my time in these 15 years. Um, superiority, um, you can start to think, um, why are they like that? Now, I, I think if you live in the community like I do, it happens less and less because it's more like, why are we like this? Like, um, I see how um, the church has just ignored um, the suffering people, and I often see people in my community kind of rising, rising to the occasion. I see poor people rising to the occasion of taking care of poor people much better than rich people do. Um, people that have less are more giving, it seems, in my opinion. But you can get the superiority. Why can't they get their act together? Why can't that patient become responsible? I mean, that's, I hear that on the airplane all the time. Why can't people be responsible? Well, responsibility is in there too. But um, I don't think Jesus is um, pretty, very happy with the superiority. Then there's a cynicism. Superiority is like, why can't that patient get their act together? Cynicism is like, God, why can't you get your act together? Why is it like this? Why don't you come in? Why don't you swoop us up and, and take us to heaven, you know? Um, so cynicism, and, and, and these are real things that I think our doctors struggle with all the time. I do as a, me- a member of our community, a friend of my neighbors. Um, just wonder, is it ever going to, is, is, is restoration, is uh, resurrection ever really going to happen? Um, and a distance. Um, sometimes it's like, I just can't do another one of these. I cannot face another funeral of a kid. I can't, um, I can't go there emotionally. And I think if that happens to us, it's very, very terrible, especially in the healthcare field. As soon as you stop looking at every single patient like a human being that God created and loves, you might as well get out of the field. But there's a temptation to do that. There's something in you that just says, I, I've, I've seen too much of this today. I can't do it anymore. There's a desire to be distant. And then just um, plain brokenness. Um, I think for me, this is, um, again, I'll, we'll talk about it a, a little bit more along the way, but um, when you see a lot of brokenness, um, it will break you. Um, it's sort of a, it, it's, it's inevitable on a certain level, unless Jesus is the one that's carrying you and putting you and holding you together. Um, if you see a lot of brokenness, uh, you will be um, over. It will overwhelm you, and I think that's 
uh, kind of what's happened to me and at times. Um, I will share a story about that, um, but there's a, there's a kind of a, an idea of vicarious trauma, that secondary trauma that happens when you look into people who have been suffering a lot and you engage in their, um, in their brokenness. And so it can break you. You can try to stay in it, and it can break you. And so we have to be careful to figure out how um, not to let that happen. And then just plain trouble. I'd have to say um, a lot of leaders in ministry and a lot of people that are in, in the ministries um, like that I am in um, can get into trouble. You can just um, you can see the brokenness all around. You can feel, like, agitated by it. Um, you can sort of start... You can feel isolated. You can start doing things on your own. And then you can find yourself in trouble. And it happens a lot. And, it, and when I see somebody in trouble, I usually feel like that could be me, except for by the grace of God. And so um, I found when I moved into my community, I, kept, I started feeling tempted to do things that I saw my community doing. You know, I kept, I don't know, I just felt like there was so much harshness out there that I felt harshness was in me. And so... Um, these things can be very um, hard for us um, to face, and at any given day we can face any of them. And it's, um, it's hard to stay in the journey. I think Jesus helps us with that. So... Um, so here's... A, so these... These are the troubles that we have and or that we're facing. And I think we need to be watchful of them, thinking about them, bringing them to the Lord. All these things can draw us closer to him or they can take us away from him. And we have to be thinking about these things. I just want to give this definition of vicarious trauma that um, my friend, I have this wonderful friend, Diane Langberg, and she wrote a book that I highly, highly recommend. Um, she is a um, psychologist who um, deals with uh, sexual trauma, um, post-traumatic stress, and I met her when uh, a neighbor of mine um, was um, having flashbacks and a lot of um, responses to being sexually abused, and we went, and she um, took care of us, or took care of my friend, and um, she wrote this book that I highly recommend. It's one of the, it's about sexual abuse in some ways, but many ways it's about worshiping God, it's about walking with people and suffering, it's about um, going there and um, and surviving, and more than that, thriving and worshiping our God. So it's called Suffering in the Heart of God. I'll, I'll have this at the end, so if you want to write down. It just came out. But she um, gives in her book this um, definition of secondary trauma, um, vicarious trauma, the, the transformation of a person's inner experience resulting from emphatic engagement, a caring connection with another's trauma. Uh, we can be impacted or bear the image of another's trauma in ourselves. Secondary trauma can suddenly appear and include symptoms such as overwhelming feelings, tears, rage, emotional shutdown, feeling disconnected from others, even loved ones, a sense of helplessness, and a lowering of morale. I think um, for most of our clinicians, after they've been here a year, we start to see some of these things in them, and they get surprised by it, and that's probably very normal to be surprised, but we, we really shouldn't be surprised because if you care deeply you're gonna, and you go into these places, um, you're going to be faced with this. You're at, highly at risk for it. 
And um, I think knowing that and then figuring out how are we going to handle the fact that I'm at risk um, for the secondary trauma, instead of not engaging, how do we uh, work through um, being in the situation? Um, I was having a hard time deciding how to label this on the left. I wanted to say resurrection power, but all I kept thinking about was sharing and suffering. Um, this is my life verse since I've been in my community. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection um, from the dead. So here we see that the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sufferings are tied together. And sometimes we only think we see one of them, and usually I think it's um, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. But if we follow Jesus, we will have, we will share in his sufferings. And we will see the power of his, re- his resurrection. Langberg writes, um, Christ's victory unto death and resurrection came at an expense of scars. We want all the suffering to go away. We want a savior that ends all suffering and goes the way of victory, not the one who has to go to the cross. But if that is true for Jesus, if his life was formed by his scars, how can we think that our lives will escape the scarring? So we who follow Jesus want to enter into the sufferings of others so that we can speak who he is into their lives. We can talk about the author of life that went to the cross for the thing that they're suffering for. There isn't any suffering that any human is engaged in that he doesn't already know and that he didn't know when he went to the cross. And so we need to um, think about how he is redeeming the suffering person and he's redeeming you as the one who walks alongside the sufferer. And he did all that by way of the cross. And when we get there, we will see the huge power of the resurrection. The power is that that he, he holds us in the suffering. The power is that he carries, that he doesn't let go, that he sees it, he, that he loves in the midst, and that he is bringing the final resurrection. This is where we find him in our suffering. When I, um, when I had a time where um, we had a, uh, a shooting in our neighborhood, and... Um, it had come a week after um, a kid in our church had been shot. And the kid in our church was 15 years old, and um, he had been starting to get engaged with drugs, and I think he, was, um, he owed somebody some money. And um, this other 15-year-old uh, rang the doorbell and shot him in the face. And our church prayed for him uh, for several days, and then finally um, the, the, the kid died. My roommate at the time, one of the 40 people that passed through my house, she was in a, um, doing a ministry in prisons. And um, later, she ended up meeting the kid that did the shooting. And the kid that did the shooting was as lost as the kid that ended up dying. In, in the, um. And so you're, this picture is just kids hurting each other um, because they don't think that there's a future for them. And because of all the many things that our neighborhood um, holds of poverty and um, how do you make money, uh, drug dealing is the way that most of the people do that. So we're, we're kind of struggling with that as a church. And then this um, 
shooting happened on my street, and um, this kid died, and he died in front of, it was a man, he died, and he died in front of all the kids in the street that were my friends. And um, it wasn't just the, that a shooting happened and that somebody lost their life, but it was the look in the, in the kids' faces of another life lost. Somebody that they, uh, a neighbor of theirs, a neighbor of ours. And it just, I remember when that happened, I, I think everything that happened up to then was like, okay, 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 and then not okay. <laughs> and, I, and I found myself in that vicarious or secondary um, trauma uh, description of uh, tears that just, you know, crying and crying and crying and crying for days, a few days, like, what's wrong with me? I'm, you know, I can't stop crying. Um, crying, but also, you know, just this, this um, I'm not sure if I can stay here. I can't stay on this journey. It's just too much. I'm, I'm broken by the brokenness. And I went to see uh, Diane Langberg, Dr. Langberg, and um, she's just so um, gentle with me. And she said, well, the thing is, Susan, you're following in your, in your Savior's footsteps, and you, that's where he is. He doesn't want you to look away because that's what the world's doing. The world's saying it doesn't exist. I can't, I can't engage. It doesn't exist. But when you look at it, don't look away, but look at the evil in the world, or look at the evil on your street, and then take your eye and look right at the Savior, your Savior on the cross, and know that that Savior died for that sin. He, he knew about it, he saw it, he knows it, and, he's, and he cares about it. And so I think um, the encouragement not to walk away, but not to do it on my own, was, was her... Um, she said, um, when you're... I was telling us another one of my, um, I guess, symptoms was um, that I, I felt like cutting corners. And I'm one of those people that does everything to the nth degree, you know. And I, I just felt like I don't care anymore. I feel like cutting corners. And she said, you can cut corners anything you want. Just don't cut your corner on worship. That's your um, uh, lifeline. It's to every day, do not cut the corner on worship. And as we look at God, as we see what he's done with the, for us and for the suffering person on the cross, um, we will kind of, the world will be put in its rightful place again. And so um, I guess as I think about what, how do we survive, um, I have three thoughts about um, what we need to do. One is uh, contemplate uh, the cross of Christ. Um, sometimes, so sometimes I get broken, and sometimes I break people <laughs> when I'm uh, when I'm on my off my journey a little bit. And I can, you know, I'm the director of a health center, so I can uh, I have the power to hurt people, whether I'm trying to or not. Hopefully, I'm not trying to. But you know, you get kind of cranky um, by some of these things, and you just can be loose with your words. And it's a simple thing in my life. And when that's happening or when I'm broken and feeling overwhelmed, what I really need to do is um, look at the cross. Um, Jesus went to the cross for my crankiness. He went to the cross for the things that are overwhelming me and the, uh, all the suffering that's in front of us. In Philippians 2, it says he left his home. He went on the journey. Uh, he left the comfort of being with the Father. And he gave up all he was so that he could... Um, come and humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Langberg writes, um, and maybe we can, I'm going to read this slowly, maybe you can contemplate the cross just for a moment right now. As you wrestle with sin, evil, and suffering, let this be a sign unto you. You shall find the Redeemer robbed of his clothes and hanging on the cross. 
He compels us to notice him and to note what he allowed his enemies to do to him. Let us sit there and see. The cross speaks. Have we sat and listened? He was made the subject of shame as absolutely as was the custom in that day. Grace abandoned him. In other words, he descended into hell. The creator is destroyed. Life becomes dead. Glory turns to shame. Beauty is obliterated. Living water thirsts. All power became powerless. The great clothier of everything is stripped naked. All honor is despised. Holiness becomes excrement. Love is forsaken. Heaven enters hell. These truths mean wonderful, eternal things. They also mean that our God understands trauma. He became excrement. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he went to the cross and he endured its shame so that we might become become his. And to think of um, that for my neighbors, to think of that for um, for the things, the suffering people in our midst, to think of that for us when we're suffering, is um, that he would find joy in the cross, becoming excrement. Living water, the man that said, the God that said, come to me and you'll never thirst, is on a cross saying, I'm thirsty. For us, for the thing that is troubling us in our community, for the sin in front of us, for the sickness in front of us. He went to the cross for that. I mean, to me, that's so encouraging because it's like nothing. Sometimes I think the kids on my block are forgotten in their poverty, but Jesus didn't forget them. He went to the cross for them. So make the cross central in your thinking. Um, Our first calling is to the cross and to look at him and to come to him. And so communing with Christ um, is the second thing. Um, It's sort of what Diane said uh, to me. Make your main thing that you come to Jesus. Um, Commune with Christ. And that means prayer. And prayer is really powerful. I think that's the other um, story that I've gained um, in all these years of being here. Sometimes the only thing that's happening is your prayer um, to the uh, against principalities and powers in this world on behalf of that one person. And I think that's so often in my community. Sometimes I don't even know the name of a kid, but I know that they're, they're struggling. And I think, I can, as I pray for him, I'm saying that life counts. God has honored that life. God is going to the cross for this person. Um, and so my prayer, I think, has um, quite a bit of power in it. But we should pray for God's work. Um, And I think this is where we go off sometimes. It's God's work. It's not my work. He's not helping me. Sometimes I pray, oh, God, help me to be, you know, a good leader today. But it's not that he's helping me in my work. It's that I'm engaging in his work. It's his work, not mine. And and, And when we think of it that way, and when we pray in that way, then it's a matter of, it takes sort of the pressure off on a certain way, but it also makes the journey so much better because it's God that's doing the work, and it's what he has in mind, not what I have in mind. I'm, I'm in the way half the time. Um, but if we're praying for God's work, 
uh, we will depend on him and we'll, do, and we'll kind of be able to see what he's doing. Um, cry out. Um, our God is merciful to us. He's compassionate. He suffers with us. When we cry out to him, he hears. Cry out for the one that can't cry out to him. Maybe the one that doesn't even know him. Let's cry out and press um, into the heart of God. I heard somebody once say, you know, when all these obstacles come in our life, if you're hanging on to God, everything presses you deeper into God instead of away from God. And it can be isolating to be in these circumstances, but if, you're, if we're clinging to God in prayer and communing with him, um, it will only make us know him more. It will make us see him more. It will make us um, able to um, see what he's doing and participate in his work. Um, confess. Um, don't be deceived by our own sinfulness and how it impacts us. I think sometimes we think all the sin is out there. But um, if we're honest with ourselves and if we're really looking at the situation, I think God will make our own sin evident. He'll expose it in us. Let's take that to him. Let's fellowship with him. Let's not run from him. Let's go to him. Let's, let's have him um, go to the cross for our sin and receive forgiveness in our time of need. I think contemplating the cross and communing with Christ will make us less selfish. Um, I think um, before I pray, often I just think, poor me. Wow, I had a hard day. Wow, this was really rough. God, can't you get this? But um, as I pray, he kind of takes my life and turns it around and makes me um, see that I need him. He's gone to the cross, and he's bringing redemption to me. And then pray for our patients. Um, I have, um, we have this one, I have a friend um, who at Esperanza, he's a psychologist, his name's Dan, he's my neighbor too, and uh, he has a list of maybe about 15 people um, that are his um, patients that he particularly has felt a calling to pray for, and he prays for them every single day. And his patients, because he's a psychologist, they're uh, often drug addicted, often uh, have uh, psychiatric troubles. And um, Dan has a way of uh, identifying when God's done something in their lives. Sometimes they're still addicted when he comes. Often they're still addicted. But if they didn't do their drugs one day and they tell him that, you know, Dan praises God for that. Uh, he has patience with um, his, his um, patience. He has patience with his patience. Um, he, he's, he, he says, God, you know, I think, again, as Americans or as successful people, I don't know. We expect that it, unless it looks perfect... God's not working. But Dan says, no, God is working all the time, every day. And so he's praying for these 15 patients or so every day. And then when they come in, he's ready. He's like, he's there with the gospel for them. Not really always in those exact words, but he's observing and telling the patient what he sees about God in them and how God has um, worked for them and what God's doing. Um, last year I had an illness and... Um, Five minutes, okay. Last, last um, year I had a, an illness, and um, it's so cool to work at a health center when you have an illness, a Christian health center, <laughs> because um, the people that prayed for me um, uh, allowed me to commune with God. It's, it's like, um, so I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm the leader of our health center. I'm supposed to be able to do things and get things done. But when I was sick, I couldn't do anything. All I could do is allow God to carry me. And, and commune with him. And I didn't really commune with him all that directly some days because I was so sick. But he was always there carrying me and um, communing with me. And so have Christ keep us on our journey. And then lastly, 
um, celebrate the work of Christ in worship. And when Diane said worship is um, everything, she's, she's definitely uh, right. Another book that I'll put on the resource list here is um, The um, Insanity of God. Has anybody read that book? Yeah. So it's a book about um, where a guy has gone and interviewed different people who are um, in suffering circumstances, usually the persecuted church. And he said, and he asked them, what, what got you through it? And when I was reading the book, it seemed like a couple, two things is what I kind of got um, out of it is the word of God, either in your heart already, or um, maybe if they got a piece of the Bible, uh, or if they had it um, memorized by somebody else. So, sometimes they found that altogether they knew a whole passage um, in the suffering church. Um, memorizing or knowing God's word and having that feed you. And then the second was song, singing, worshiping. And I, I know for me that's a lot of times I'll just play a music really loud and, and think of what that means and worship um, God. And it changes the whole, uh, the whole story in the picture. And he's worthy of worship because of he's redeemer of it all. The this, this suffering, he doesn't turn his back on it. He loves us. Um, he's... He's willing to die for us and to bring about redemption. So um, we should pray. Um, I have a um, resource list, um, but I also have it on paper. So if you would like it on paper, um, these are my favorite worship music. And on paper, I have the URLs, and you can play them on you, uh, YouTube if you feel like it. These are just the ones that when I was sick especially, uh, they just spoke to me. And when I think about my community, um, they allow me to um, worship uh, the living God in the midst of the things that are, are happening. So Diane Langberg's book, um, Insanity of God, and then Rejoicing in Lament, it's a, it's a um, book by a, a professor who is, uh, has incurable cancer. It's very, very helpful the way he thinks about um, suffering and, and his future suffering. So I want to pray for us. Um, everybody's at a different place, right? Um, some of us are wanting to engage on the journey. Some of us are... Um, uh, on the journey and feeling maybe weary. And maybe some of us are walking alongside somebody who's suffering and you um, don't know exactly what to do next or how to, uh, how to stay on your journey. Um, let me just pray for us. I, I feel like God knows where that is, and maybe whatever's on your heart, just raise that to him while we pray and um, see if God can um, turn our hearts toward him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for um, who you are. We are thankful for uh, the fact that you give us a journey to walk on. We thank you, Father, um, that you don't only only call us to the journey, but you keep us on it. And I pray for each person in this room. God, you know where their hearts are. Some people wondering what, what, what journey might you take them on. God, I pray for them. Would you show them, even maybe this weekend, the journey that you have in mind for them? If there's someone with a journey that you're calling them on and they're fearful of that, Lord, I just ask that you would um, speak your peace into their heart and into their life. Remind them of who you are. You are the good Samaritan. You're the ultimate. Uh, You're the redeemer. You're the one that um, paints the picture of their life. You're the author of their life, their restoration, the resurrection. God, those who are weary on the journey, those who are maybe like me, cranky at times, Lord, I pray that you would be my, the forgiver of my life. 
God, would you remind me of who you are? Would you remind us? Would you put your salvation in our lives? God, I thank you that you went to the cross for my bad attitudes. You went to the cross for me. God, those of us who are broken, we don't know if we can go another step. There might be one or two in this room, Lord, right now. Lord, would you remind them of the preciousness of getting to follow in your footsteps and that you will keep them, you will hold them. You um, died for the sin, for the suffering that they're looking at right now. God, we do lift to you those that um, we know who are suffering, those that we love and those that we, uh, we feel their pain because we uh, love them, Lord. Um, would you bring about restoration if it's addiction, if it's illness, Lord, if it's sin, uh, God, we know that you died for these things and you, and you love those that we're loving. And so, Lord, we um, ask, would you please keep us on this journey? You are worth, worthy of worship, Lord. You are um, the one that keeps us and calls us. Lord, we, um, we worship you. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.